Hey, chiropractors, we're ready for another modern chiropractic marketing show with Dr. Kevin Christie, where we discuss the latest in marketing strategies, content marketing, direct response marketing, and business development with some of the leading experts in the industry. Hey, docs, welcome to another episode of the Modern Chiropractic Marketing Show. Today, I've got a a great interview with Dr. Brett Winchester. Really excited. I've been fortunate enough to learn from him for many years. Uh, We were actually in school together. He's uh, maybe a year or so older. I think he was the rep for MPI when I first started. So I was learning from when he was a student, and then he ended up being an instructor for our biomechanics class when we were in tri-8. So I've been learning from him. Obviously, I've taken a bunch of Motion Palpation Institute's courses. Uh, he's doing so many great things, as you're going to hear in this. What I what I really wanted to do was dive into the essence of, of what Dr. Winchester is and who he is and his practice and what drives that and why, why he, how he's able to continue to have a thriving, growing practice that you'll hear about and travel, you know, 25 uh, airplane trips a year teaching and just doing so many different things. And it really, it's a representation of what you can do. There's really no limit in this profession. And you, if you do things right, as far as developing your practice to where it's uh, it's a team and it's a self-managing practice, you can just do a lot of great things and you're going to get that. And so I wanted to dive into what his private practice looked like, what motivates him, uh, what he's looking to continue to do. And I just, uh, just for me, it was a great interview selfishly of just learning even more myself. And I think you're going to as well. And so without further ado, I'm going to get right to it. Here is my interview with Dr. Brett Winchester. All right. Welcome to the show. Got Dr. Brett Winchester. I really appreciate your time. This is exciting for me to have you on. Uh, what do you got going on? Uh, what's new with your world? And just introduce yourself a little bit. Well, thanks for having me on, Kevin. Uh, yeah, I'm in the middle of uh, a bunch of things. Uh, I ran into you and got to see you speak at FTCA, which was amazing. Um, was it Parker? We had our big DNS symposium. We had our big uh, Kansas City Adjustathon. So Came right out of that, and then uh, I got we got a big talk coming up in uh, in Los Angeles with Hodges and Stecco and Collage, and uh, I got a speaking part in that. So we're we're rolling. So that's the the next thing that I'm really focused on. That's coming up not this weekend but next weekend. So I'm kind of preparing for that and getting ready for that. So how many air travel uh, trips do you have a year nowadays, roughly? <laughs> that that's a good question. It is. Uh, I thought I was doing more than anybody, but Kathy Dooley, I heard, I talked to her and she, she does way more than I do, but usually I shoot for 25, uh, seminars a year. So that's basically half, but then, uh, uh, against my wife's will, I always end up budgeting more, more than that. So it's, uh, it's kind of hard because in my world, like if you tell somebody no, then they just say, okay, well, when can you do it? So then it just gets out, you know, you never really solve your, solve your problem. But I mean, to me, it's a good problem. Cause I, obviously if I didn't like it, I wouldn't do it. And I, I, I kind of know that it's my calling. So, uh, that's kind of the missionary crusade that I'm on right now. You're so. a little bit far away from the airport. Do you take your helicopter to the airport and then get on a commercial plane? Golfstream, baby. Jumps, <laughs> bro. <laughs> That's a lot of traveling. What does your sex your next six months look like? The next six months is I'm in charge of DNS baseball. So in the off season, we'll be working with a couple of pro teams and uh, 
and that's exploding right now. So trying to figure out where that all will be fit in. And then, uh, yeah, the, I'm busy in the next year with, you know, my usual stuff. So a lot of, lot of other big seminars, summits, big conferences. So, uh, that's kind of, uh, where I like to be now because of the splash factor of it all, you know? So yeah, we got, it's going to be a, it's going to be a good 2020. I can feel it. Talk about, you know, it's sometimes things come along, different seminars, different certifications, different concepts, but the baseball thing definitely has a lot of good buzz around it. Everybody seems to be really interested in what you're doing with that. Tell us a little bit about that before we dive into some of the other information. Baseball is so crazy because it's something that I really don't like. (laughs) I didn't, I mean, I played a little bit of baseball growing up. Soccer was my main thing. And then I just, I mean, maybe it'll be inspirational, motivational for some of the people listening out there, but I literally grassrooted it in a throwing academy in close to my area here. So it started there and then just, and like everybody always asks, well, how did you do this? How'd you do that? And you just start with the person you're seeing right then at that time and that day. And, uh, and I'm not, I'm, you know, as you know, I'm an hour outside of St. Louis. So it took a while for word to get out and get out and get out. And, uh, finally, you know, I was able to spread it. So, I mean, I just did it that way. And, uh, I, it just, I, I, I would say I dove into it. I did my homework. I did a bunch of research on it and I got good at treating the baseball athlete. And then it just led and opened up to so many things. And then, so what's unique about baseball, we have an epidemic problem right now with Tommy John surgery and UCL. So it's placing me kind of in a really good spot to, or a good timing because you have like such a need and a want by the industry. So it's like the perfect storm of economics right now. There's so much demand and supply is not very good. So I'm in a good spot to help that. And I think we're sitting on a lot of the reason on why people are injuring themselves. So when I was permanently with the Cardinals, I, I guess I was kind of hemmed in a little bit on, you know, what I could do. And now I feel like I got to, before I move on, I got to tell the story. And that's what I'm really excited about the DNS baseball courses. Cause it's, you know, there's so much information there. So it's a lot of information. And I think it's exciting for chiropractors out there because if you live in America, there's not a town that you could practice in where there's not baseball. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll get some things I've done a lot with football where they'll want to do that. Well, it's like, if you live in Wyoming, you know, NFL football is probably not going to be high up on the list of things you can do, but with baseball, you're anywhere, there's colleges, there's high schools, there's little leagues, there's a lot of baseball players. And it's something that you can really help out your community with this type of information. Yeah. And I mean, it, it really is to your point. I mean, it really is America's pastime. And uh, the Cardinals were kind of like the Cowboys of baseball. They're kind of America's team. And <laughs> you know, you just, you're around so many neat yeah. stories and uh, baseball, I think is just woven into American culture. So yeah, like, like you said, I mean, everybody at some point in your life has probably played baseball. So, and they get hurt all the time. So that's, uh, that's yes. the other good thing, I guess, in our field. So. Exactly. Find those ones, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, a lot of our audience, they, they may have known you from some of the teaching and been to some of the certifications and definitely a lot of the MPI events, but, um, Maybe they don't know you from a private practice standpoint. Give us a little bit of an inside look at your, at your practice, your private practice, and what it's all about. Sure. So we started in a small town. It's called Moscow Mills, Missouri. It's, uh, there's, I think, 600 people in that small town. 
And it was kind of at a, at a confluence of some, some main highways is why I originally liked the location. Yep. And uh, the story I tell was there was an old man who pulled up and he told me, uh, we were putting in the sign that said future home of Winchester chiropractic. Mm-hmm. And the guy goes, son, the only thing that makes it in this town are uh, churches and bars. He goes, you do not stand a chance doing what you're about to do here. <laughs> and I went home, didn't sleep that night, but it was yeah. really kind of motivational for me. And uh, I always tell that story because a lot of times people are like, well, we can't do it in this. You know, everybody gives an excuse on why they can't do it. And uh, it exploded from the beginning. And uh, you and I were kind of chatting before we started this, the if people knew the sweat equity that went into getting that place rolling, I mean, I laid lectured to anybody who would listen to me. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I gave lectures in front of two people, five people at all the Rotary Club, Kiwanis, Chambers. I was president of all those things, you know, like all those things that people, like you said, they don't, they see me now 20 years into this. But they have no idea all the stuff that I that I did to, to get this all rolling. So, so anyways, I moved for probably I think we're going on four years ago to this facility, which is now it's about seventy five hundred square feet. So we have three kind of sections to our office. We have a gym, we have uh, a center area with uh, treating chiros, which is basically me and four other chiros. So we have a total of five treating chiros. CAs, trainers uh, that help us out in that area. And then we have a functional medicine wing with massage therapy and um, dietary needs and, you know, all that side. So now we have 25 people that are involved in the operation. So it is, uh, it's ever growing. And to be honest, it's exploding so much that I thought I would never leave this office. And I'm not saying that I'm going to, but we're it just continues to grow. So, which is all, I mean, it's just all a great, wonderful, wonderful problem. And I think the key is you just surround yourself with just amazing people. And uh, we're, we're trying to create something really special here. And because of that, I think it's, it's driving everything just because we, we have good people. So. Yeah. You know, I want to touch on a couple of things you said there, having great people around you, obviously early on, you know, we, we end up being a lone wolf and sometimes we, don't work on the team around us. And and then you can't get to that next level of things because you aren't putting the right people around you or not communicating well with them. But that's what's really going to take you to another level, right? Like as, as much as you did to start this, you wouldn't be where you're at now with this team around you if you didn't have great people. That is so true. And um, your younger generation who's listening is not going to know, but it, those of you who've seen Jerry Maguire, there's a famous scene where he stands up and he basically says, who's coming with me, you know, and no one stands up. And I always say, that's what I felt like at my staff meetings, because what I wasn't good at when I was younger was explaining my vision. You know, like in my mind, I knew exactly what I, what was going to happen, but I did a, a real poor job of articulating it on the people around me before everything grew like it did. And once I figured that out, I felt like all the rows started rowing in the same direction. And that includes like your family members, your spouse, like, cause your spouse is looking at you like, what are you doing? You're working till 10 o'clock. You're not home, you know? And like, so once I was able to start to articulate where I wanted this all to go, I think that really helped with uh, the mission and the vision. Yeah. So. That's a key part of it. Cause you can only do it so much on your, on your own shoulders. So getting people around you to do it is, is huge. And then the second point I wanted to touch on, we did have a little bit of pre-talk about sometimes people see 
us that have been practicing for 15, 20 years with, with successful practices and just assumed it was born that way. They don't realize that there was a ton of grassroots marketing, marketing, networking, public speaking that it took to get out there. And ironically enough, what ends up happening, at least for me, maybe this is the same thing with you, is because a lot of people ask me, is like, because I do public speaking, you do a lot more of it than I do. But I was just in New Jersey and I think there was like 400 people that I spoke in front of and be like, oh, how'd you do that? I was like, well, actually, I've been doing this shit for like 15 years. It just was in my community in front of two people. Then it was 10, then it was 15, then it was 20. And so I've been doing it just to build my practice. So then when I took the next step into speaking in front of larger audiences, I've already been practicing it. Yeah, and I mean, I saw you at FTCA. I mean, you're a, you're a true pro at it. Uh, my story is actually in high school, I was petrified of public speaking. Yeah. And uh, like I said, I just kept doing, I just basically kept saying yes. And then I kind of found my stride on that, like how to inspire, you know, how to add a little bit of comedy in. And, you know, I think you all kind of, you find your stick, but you only find it by just doing it over and over. And I mean, Many, many times, you know, I, I'll walk away from a talk being like, well, it wasn't as good as I wanted, but I, I always try to like look back on it and reflect and say, okay, I did this well. So I'm basically always improving. I, I would say my best talk is going to be my next talk, you know, because it'll have all my, my experience of people asking questions, me thinking about it. A lot of my revelations honestly come in the middle of lectures because I'm being forced to think of the material right then. So, uh, yeah, I think the, the speaking part of the teaching part is, uh, is, is really helpful. And I mean, the local civic groups are perfect, yeah. you know, place to try out your, your ability to do that. And I would just say your first five years in practice, you just say yes to everything. Yeah. It's like that. I forget what the movie's called with Jim Carrey when he, he basically has to say yes to everything, yes. but <laughs> you know, you and I, we've kind of gotten to a point where we can't say yes to everything. But, you know, when you're younger, I think that's a, it's a pretty good lesson because there's a lot of things during your day that most people are going to say no to that you should say yes to. Live with feeling uncomfortable about it. Own that. And then, uh, and then you'll be better off for it. Because all the things that you don't want to do when you end up doing them, you always look back and say, man, that actually went pretty good, you know? So, uh, yeah, I, I would say, and then when you're going into practice, you just got to meet a bunch of people, you know, in your town and you just got to get out of your office. And, you mm -hmm. know, and I think that's a really important part of it. Yeah. And it's, again, it goes to, they think that we get in front of people and we public speaking and we're somewhat decent at it. They think maybe that came natural. I was like, no, that was also sweat equity. Like you said, getting the ability to facilitate knowledge and speak in front of people that took time. It didn't happen right away. So if you're not good at it now, you got to just keep doing it and you'll be amazed at what you're like in 15, 20 years or even five years. Yeah. And I think too, like for me, it was also really important. What we haven't talked about yet is literally my favorite thing to do in the world is private practice. So like a lot of people who do what I do, I mean, they do not like practice, you know, like they're teaching yeah. because they're, they're done with it. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a weird bird because <laughs> I just think like every patient is a puzzle within itself and I'm like so competitive. Like I, you know, I, and I walk around the chip on my shoulder and I think we do as chiropractors as a whole, because we're used to people telling us, Oh, you're a chiropractor. You can't do this. You can't do that. And I actually had breakfast with Mark King recently. And uh, he asked me, he's like, dude, what is, what is churning you right now? Like what, what is driving all this? And what I ended up, it took me a while to think of the answer. And the answer was 
I want to push the limits of what's possible for a chiropractor. That that's what I ended up like. It took me a while to get to that point because I couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. But like you know, I want I want us to hang with the, all the best neurologists. Whether we're talking baseball biomechanics and a pitching coach, whatever arena or environment we're in, let's just keep let's just keep pushing the the profession you know where it needs to go. And that's uh, all the organizations I'm affiliated with. You know, FTCA, I think is a good example of that. I mean, you have a room full of people that are great. MPI is the same exact way and yep. DNS. I mean, all these, we have such a great core group of people, I think, that are, I mean, you can just feel it. I mean, we are absolutely pushing limits. So No, and it's exciting. And I, I like to discuss the strategic coach concept, the the four freedoms and freedom, money, time, relationship, and purpose. Put the money thing aside. That's everybody's own relationship with it, good or bad. But it seems like you found your freedom of purpose uh, in a sense of what you talked about with Mark King. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and actually I've heard Mark talk on this point too, but I mean, you have people who have their job and then you have like what I would literally call a calling, which is if you read uh, Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search of Meaning, the the biggest take home message out of this book is man to be happy has to wake up with a purpose. So if we look at all your patients, for example, that are depressed or deal with anxiety and things like that, you will see a lot of times they're struggling with when they wake up in the morning, knowing like how they're going to go change the world that day. And uh, thankfully, luckily, I have found, at least in my own life, you know, this is, I I love my job. I mean, just absolutely love it. But like, I love the private practice aspect of it also. So coming to work every day for me is an absolute joy and a blast. So yeah. And as far as the money, I think like if, if we get our mind in the right spot, I think there's always going to be a good pile of money there. You know, for if there's students out there listening, I mean, our rule is, you know, in three years, just be sure you're making six figures, you know, like that's, that's all I ask. So, hmm. and if, if you, if you're not in a system where you can do that, either it's you or you're in a bad situation, you know, and, and kind of like you said, I mean, whether you're making a hundred thousand or 500,000 or a million, whatever you're making, Let's at least let that be a hundred thousand because now chiropractors are so grossly being underpaid. So that's, you know, that's a little bit disheartening. It's part of definitely my goal for every chiropractor. And if I can help in any any way, whether it's an associate or owning your own practice, because there's a lot of chiropractors that own their own practice that aren't even sniffing that. And and so they got to figure out a way to make that happen just to be able to uh, function within this profession. In life, right? right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's not that. I mean, nothing's more annoying than people are, that are splashing their cash in front of your face or throwing their Rolex in, in your face. But in saying that, money's a vehicle to do the things that you want to do in life. So to ignore that, it's ridiculous. The other thing I'd say: if if you're the best person in your area, your town, you deserve to be handsomely paid for what you're doing. You know. So I think a lot. Like, what's ironic, Kevin, is. Sometimes like the best like technical chiropractors in the country, they're, they have these little practices that nobody knows about, you know, and then you have someone that was just kind of a buffoon in school and all of a sudden they're blowing their practice up. So, and that is, you know, just a difference in certainty and confrontation and all things that are really, really important to be successful in practice. When you're in school, no one tells you that, you know, I mean, you're kind of led to believe, well, if I'm good clinically, everything's going to be fine. Wrong. Like it's going to take a lot, like we discussed earlier to grow your practice, but then little things like you owning some confidence or certainty, 
Um, you being able to confront people, you know, that's the other thing like that. I think the younger students, they're not very good at because they've been able to hide behind a device or a computer and things like that. There's not that one-on-one communication or confrontation that is what we, you and I do, you know, every day with our patients. Yeah, for sure. And you know, one of the things, if you didn't have a freedom of money within your practice and weren't able to grow it and you struggled, you know, 20 years ago to build your practice, you wouldn't have the freedom of purpose right now to do what you're doing with DNS, with baseball and all that. Like you had to have that and then build that team around you, which has also given you the freedom of time, right? Like you're able to travel. Not that you have a lot of time that you're laying out at the beach and sipping on margaritas, but what you're using the leverage of time to do is to be able to travel 25 times a year to then serve your purpose, right? That's right. That's right. And I think like in my world, I can sniff a charlatan out of a room in a second. You know, like the people who aren't in practice anymore, which there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying you have to be in practice, but I don't know. I I think like a lot of times people who aren't out in the trenches, Mm -hmm. you know, they uh, sometimes they're not the best at explaining this, you know, the pathway that we need for, for our students and our docs, just because they're not, they're not out doing it every day, you know? So, and that's nothing against education because that's really important. But, but anyways, I think sometimes like on the weekend seminar circuit series, you can kind of, you can quickly tell who's actually using their skills every day and, and who's not. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, and then to kind of tie it all around is if maybe in your private practice, someone, you know, our audience, maybe their purpose isn't to travel and teach, but their purpose is serving the patient. And, and that's what's great about our profession is just being a chiropractor. That's got a high purpose. You know, I see some of my friends that make great money, but they sit behind a desk in the financial world and they hate their life and they have no purpose and they can't find that and they struggle mentally with that. Our profession really allows for that. But if you're, if you're really struggling to grow your practice and you don't have that freedom of, of cash flow or money, then you show up to work kind of jaded and thinking about the patient encounter as money coming in to pay the bills versus serving that purpose of helping out that person person. So I think it's really important that chiropractors get that squared away for sure. And don't you think, I mean, like as a consumer or a patient, you know, that feeling like, I mean, you hear it about chiropractors all the time, you know, like I came in, I felt like I was just getting sold something versus like you get around somebody who's truly, you know, loving what they do. And the example I always say is uh, it's, I call it enthusiasm and I joke because nothing's more annoying than cheesy enthusiasm when someone's <laughs> like, Oh, everything's perfect in my life. Everything's great. You know, and then you have what the reality is, but what I think enthusiasm is, is when like the patient, like they know that you're giving 100% of your thought and attention mm-hmm. toward them right there. And I, I heard a, a, a practice management person say one time, and it's really stuck with me is, the best practice management tool I can give you is presence with your patient. So like for me, it's the door frame. That's my cue. When I walk into the door of a treatment room, that's my cue to give 100% of my attention to that patient because really they deserve that. And I had to work on that because honestly, like I could let my mind get away for a second. And I, you know, if I really was thinking about it and I was honest, I mean, I was like paying attention 20%, you know, but once I started like really focused on 100% of my attention and uh, back to the business side, uh, customer service is so important with us. So we start from the second the patient walks in to their experience through whoever they may touch to the office. And uh, I mean, really, the healing starts the second they walk into the door. So if they have a bad experience at, the, at your front office person, 
then that affects everything. So I work really, really hard on having the, or we do on that experience because it, it's all important in, in healing. We want to be the opposite of Western medicine. Mm-hmm. We want to tell patients, yes, we don't want to like slam a door on them and tell them we can't do something for them or that, you know, it's going to be two months to see us. Like we're finding ways to be there for our, for our people, more of like a, a servant mindset. I, I agree. I agree. And, you know, I love asking this question of chiropractors and doctors out there that are meeting a lot of young chiropractors as, as an MPI doc alone and instructor, you run into thousands over the last, how many years you've been doing that, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's a lot. 18 years, right? So it's a ton of chiropractors. So you've seen a lot of them become successful. Not all of them, but you've seen a lot of them become successful. You've already mentioned a few things. You can tie it back in there if you want, but what are a few characteristics you do see from those docs that end up just becoming successful, whatever they define success as. We don't have to mince the words on that, but what are you seeing in that aspect of things? One quality that I kind of look for, like when I'm looking for people here Mm -hmm. is does that human being bring energy into whatever room they're in? Because one thing I've learned is that is one quality that is, uh, attractability, you know? So, or like another way to think of it, uh, outside of those terms are, if you sat down on a plane next to somebody, would you be, would you be exciting to talk to? Or would you, you know, kind of be a lump of a log? Or if you're at a cocktail party, are people wanting to talk to you? Those are like little things that you can start to see about your own likability. And uh, in my Try 8 class, we actually have the last day of lecture, we talk about some of the things we're talking about right now. And, you know, I have a slide where I go through like the people that are the most likable in the world. And the one who's the most universal, universally likable besides like an Oprah is Jennifer Aniston. Mm. And Jennifer Aniston is likable amongst like females, males. My son who's eight loves her. I love her. My dad loves her. Like, so she's got a likable quality about her. So that, that would be the other thing I would say is, you know, great healers need to be, they need to be likable. And there's a difference between a good chiropractor and a good healer. A good healer can literally get miracle after miracle after miracle because they're really good at offering reassurance, hope to the patient. And sometimes like there are really good chiropractors that are out there. They get good results, but they sometimes they don't get like that extra result because they're also kind of doubters, which is a good thing. You know, they question everything and they kind of at times can get in their own way. But uh, you get around somebody who's really got that encounter figured out, you know, it, the results are are crazy. So I would... I would say being likable and um, yeah, that would be probably, I'd leave that. That's a big one. And, you know, obviously the one you mentioned with being present with your patients, I've God, I fell victim to that. Cause sometimes it's, there's big things. Like you mentioned moving four years ago into your new place. I'm sure at that time when that was being built out and that whole thing was going on, you had a zillion things on your mind with that. And some, you might get a call and say, yeah, we're going to be over budget by 5,000 on this one room here or something. And you're thinking about that and you're pissed. Then you got to go and treat a patient. That stuff, they, they notice that, you know, they, they notice it. I had a hilarious encounter during that time. I thought for a second that I wanted like eight offices around St. Louis. And I realized uh, after I grew into one that that's not what I wanted. But uh, so I'm sitting down with the banker and I, I'm in debt a ton of money at this point. Cause it, basically I was funding two offices at the same time. Yeah. He looked at me and it was like talking to my dad and he goes, son, 
do you know what you're doing? <laughs> and I looked at him and I go, uh, yeah, if you can't bet on yourself, then I guess you can't bet on anybody. And he's like, that's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> but it did make me think for a second. But yeah, uh, yeah sometimes you just got to push all those chips in, you know, like, uh, so I, I, I do think, um, yeah, that's, uh, those are difficult times. But again, if it was easy, of course, everybody does it, right? Yeah. And you just, even when it's tough times, you got to be present with the patients and make sure that you're really focusing on them because they will notice it whether you are or not. Yeah. And they, I think they'll also refer like what you want is what I tell my associates here, like the really good ones, they will, they'll take one patient and they'll turn it into 10. Yeah. And then you have other people who you give them 10 patients and they'll turn it into one. Right. So, so then like talking about those intangibles that allow you to grow a practice that way. And I think like if you're present and you're enthusiastic, then patients are asking you constantly about family members or friends. And it's weird. Like you don't even have to ask for it. Like they want to refer to you and don't underestimate the value of a handwritten thank you. So like if somebody refers patients to me, like I will take the time. I actually learned this, uh, I lost my mom last year, but one of the oh, things that she taught me was the value of a handwritten thank you. So um, everybody kind of laughs at me around here, but I mean, I'm constantly writing thank yous because it, it means a lot too. Like at your point in your life, Kevin, people know you're crazy busy. So then if you take the time to write a handwritten thank you, it's got some serious power, yeah. you know? Yeah. So um, yeah. So I think when people do refer to you, recognize that, or if like, uh, if you're treating a high school athlete and they do something amazing, like just send them a quick little note saying, saw you in the paper. Congratulations. Proud of you. You know, because we're, we're like role models for all the people in our community. You know, people are watching how you eat. They want to know if you're exercising, they want to know, you know, what you're into. And like, so we're, I tell everyone here, I mean, people are looking up to us. So we need to, you know, live a life that we're all proud of. I mean, we need to treat people around us really well. And, you know, so little things that people don't think about, but no, it makes a lot of sense. So that's good feedback. I really appreciate your your time today. Thanks for tuning in today. Please be sure to check our redesigned website at www.modernchiropracticmarketing.com. Stay up to date with our blog where content is regularly added by Kevin and guest contributors. You can also access our library of podcast episodes there. Go to www.modernchiropracticmarketing.com and subscribe to the podcast today. This is the podcastfactory.com.